What is shaking? Hi there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Golf Guide Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Serlo. And, uh, man, we, we have got a very compelling and very interesting and, dare I say, memorable 148th Open Championship to discuss. I am uh, broadcasting alone uh, today. I have given Mr. Stemak the week off. Uh, I believe he was up on the Idaho Panhandle uh, engaging in some some wondrous competitive golf with a few uh, uh, friends. So it is going to be just me today. So I, I wanted to just take a, you know, a short amount of time. I, I don't think it's going to be a very long uh, podcast today, but certainly wanted to just come on and share some of my thoughts uh, from watching uh, Shane Lowry's victory at the Open Championship. Really, really fantastic to see. Uh, I can't claim to be a massive Shane Lowry fan in the sense that I follow his career closely, but uh, I, I do like Shane Lowry both as a golfer and he seems like a great dude. Uh, so very, very, uh, it's, just, it's just wonderful to see a guy like that break through and get his first major championship. Um, you know, to, to state the obvious, uh I think this guy really likes playing competitive golf in Ireland. <laughs> just it's just a guess, but uh, he won <laughs> he won the Irish Open as an amateur. Uh, or no, is that right? He won the Irish Open, yeah, as an amateur, and now he's won the Open Championship when it was contested in uh, on the island of Ireland for the first time since 1951. Um, you know, it certainly is not. Uh, <laughs> as idyllic of a result as many had hoped when they had pegged their hopes on Rory McIlroy uh, to win this golf tournament. But, you know, to have an Irishman win this championship, I could only imagine that it, you'd really like to think that it would be some kind of a really unifying and wonderful thing that the entire island of Ireland could celebrate together, not just, um, you know, not just the Republic of Ireland uh, to the south, but you know, just just to have an Irishman win this thing on home soil is really, really special, really cool, um, and, and just a really fun, compelling story all around. Um, you know, the, the only time we had seen Shane Lowry really be in the spotlight of a major championship was back in 2016 uh, for the U.S. Open at Oakmont. And uh, if you recall, he did blow a four-shot lead in that tournament before Dustin Johnson uh eventually you know took control and uh and sat in the driver's seat and, and rode that thing home yeah despite the usga's best efforts but um it, it's really awesome and he, he and since that time you know he had obviously gone through quite a funk uh several years without winning either on the pga tour or the european tour uh earlier this year he got his first victory in a while by winning the hsbc or the abu dhabi hsbc championship in dubai um you know before that I mean, even though he was in the mix at the 2016 U.S. Open, uh, before this year, before that, that victory in Dubai earlier this year, his last win was at the 2015 WGC Bridgestone. It's crazy. So, I mean, it, it has been, you know, before this year, four years uh, from right now since he had won last, and now he's got two victories in 2019, one of which is the final major championship of the year uh, in the Open Championship, which... Um, was contested at Royal Portrush, as you know. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but that was a really beautiful, compelling golf course. I, I, I had so much fun uh, watching these guys play this golf course. They, <laughs> I, uh, it just, 
it, it almost makes me kind of jealous that we don't have access to something like that, you know, within a couple hours of our homes. Because that is, you know, playing golf on a course like that, um, even even despite the crazy, crazy weather that was taking place on Sunday afternoon, um, just having the ability to play a golf course like that that gives you so many options and really makes you think and can essentially play as 100 different golf courses in 100 straight days due to the conditioning and also the weather and the you know and, and everything else. It's just a really, really awesome golf course. I, I think we ended up seeing that uh, in this Open Championship. Um, that golf course was playing dramatically different based on the weather. I mean, moving day on Saturday, some guys that looked really good, putting up some really nice numbers, and the very next day on the exact same golf course, uh, these guys got worked. <laughs> <laughs> and that my uh, that that is put lightly. I, I'm going to go over exactly how many people just got absolutely destroyed uh, in the final round on Sunday. But before I you know I, I go off uh, Shane Lowry for his win here, um, it, it was interesting. I was I, I was curious to see which statistic um, the eventual winner was going to lead in because you, know, you could make an argument that whoever obviously you know. The person who won this thing was going to be top three in putting. Um, you know, obviously you putt well, especially on a place like that with bigger greens and links golf. You're going to have a great chance to win. Uh, are, were his hitting fairways going to be exceptionally important? Not necessarily. Uh, the winner, Shane Lowry, led the field uh, for the entire Open in greens and regulation percentage, hitting 79.17% uh, of his greens. So pretty much four out of every five greens Shane Lowry was hitting, and really, that seemed like it was, <laughs> it makes complete sense after the fact that that was indeed what Shane Lowry was so good at, and that's because if you're getting on the green in regulation, that means you're avoiding big numbers, and by avoiding big numbers, you're not hitting balls out of bounds off the first tee, <laughs> you're not hitting it into the bushes, and then trying to take, you know, an unplayable lie only to, you know, not be able to get out of where your drop is, I mean, it was, you know... <laughs> For how well some of these guys played uh, in the Open Championship, Shane Lowry in particular, man, wasn't it wild to see guys, the best players in the world, just put themselves into places that they couldn't get out of? <laughs> it's it's real. It, it's just really crazy. You you almost expect these best players in the world to seemingly have an answer for every question on the test. I mean, they they just it doesn't matter how bad the situation seems. More often than not, as a fan, you watch these guys get out of what seemed to be impossible in uh, situations, and that was not the case for this golf tournament. Um, never more evidenced by the favorite heading into this tournament, Rory McIlroy, who, you know, and I, I might as well just get to it now, but it, it was such a bummer um, that Rory was not able to make the cut. Obviously, he had a terrible, horrendous, uh, Thursday, his opening round, is that 79 or 78 or 79? Uh, among one of the just the worst uh, rounds I've ever seen a player of his caliber put up. I mean, quadruple bogey on the first hole of the golf tournament. You hit one OB off the first tee, and then you make a double bogey with that second ball because you still put yourself in trouble down the left-hand side. It just it it boggles the mind. Uh, to think somebody of Rory McIlroy's skill uh, could go and do something like that. But 
it did really set a tone for the rest of the day. He finished his round with a triple bogey. I mean, seven over uh, to bookend your round. I, it's just, I, I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how you compete for major championships while you're doing that. Um, you know, obviously he had, he had good enough golf. He's playing even, basically even golf uh, from two to seventeen. But I mean, shit, man, that also included him basically missing probably 10 inch putt on 16 <laughs> you know three putting like coming up right next to the hole for a little tap in misses the tap in I mean it just was a terrible day for Rory McIlroy and I I would be really curious to see how how poor his round was on Thursday is that what gave him the motivation to play as well as he did on Friday I mean I, I don't know if we'll ever know the answer um, had he gone out and fired, you know, a 71 shot even par on Thursday, would he still have gone out and, you know, had a chance to shoot 65 or 66 on Friday? I, I don't know. Um, but watching him play as well as he did on Friday, uh, and then, you know, have a chance from after that terrible, terrible opening round, um, to give himself a chance to get all the way back to plus one and make the cut, uh, on Friday, was really wonderful and really entertaining. Um, it did seem like the crowd, the uh, the Northern Irish crowd, felt the same way in that even though they understood that he was not going to make the cut as he was walking up 18 and after he hit that chip shot on 18 that didn't go in, uh, that fact was cemented, they, they still appreciated that uh, despite the absolutely just treacherous opening round that Rory McIlroy had, um, to come and play like he did on Friday showed some absolute massive stones uh, I, I really I have a lot of respect for what Rory McIlroy did on Friday a really just courageous you know if, if I want to get but you know put my sports writer pants on it that was a courageous effort uh by Rory McIlroy on Friday uh, obviously he does come up short but still really fun to watch uh, I don't know if this open championship will ever go back to Royal Portrush or the island of Ireland Northern Ireland specifically uh, while Roy McElroy is still in his prime. Uh, I know when the RNA president Martin Slumbers was asked after the golf tournament if he in you know if he sees Royal Portrush becoming a staple uh, of the open rota and he said absolutely. So you know Roy McElroy is you know he's about 30, 31 years old right now. Um, if Royal Portrush hosts the open again optimistically in 10 years, that makes Rory McIlroy 40 years old. That puts him pretty much right on the tail end of his prime. And who knows, with a guy who has a as strong and as powerful of a golf swing as Rory McIlroy does, um, will he still be in his prime at age 40? I don't know. So this was probably his first and only chance to win a major championship on home soil. Uh, obviously, you know, the chances of him doing it were very, very low. I mean, he uh even though he was the betting favorite i mean you're still putting that as a single percentage chance um for, for that to happen before the tournament starts so uh yeah i mean a bummer for more roy mcelroy but uh very very cool the way he finished out uh his tournament on friday um let's see the the other guy we have to talk about is the number one golfer in the world brooks kepka um after finishing fourth you know obviously he had a rough uh a rough sunday you know he put, starts out with four straight bogeys uh, which is not uh, not ideal at all. I mean, of course, he does then, you know, eagle the fifth, which is <laughs> a very Brooks uh, Brooks Kepka like thing to do, especially on a, you know a, a par four like that. But um, 
that is now you know, a top four, top five in every major championship in 2019. If you want to go through it, uh, tied for second at the Masters, wins the PGA Championship, second place at the U.S. Open, tied for fourth uh, at the Open Championship at Royal Portrush. Um, he joins Jack Nicklaus, Tiger Woods, Ricky Fowler in 2014, and Jordan Spieth in 2015 uh, as the only golfers uh, in history to finish in the top five of every major championship that season. Um, and Brooks, as much as I hate to admit it, it was less than a year ago where I came on this podcast for uh, the PGA Championship recap saying that I respected the hell out of his game, but I just didn't like the man. Um, it, it, it is now officially at the point where he is just so good in these major championships that his personality just isn't really starting to matter in terms of how much I enjoy watching him play golf. I mean, he really is is, is that impressive. Um, and on top of that, you know, the, the stance that he has taken uh, off the golf course um, about issues like slow play uh, do do make me like him more and more and more. Um, you know, obviously being paired with J.B. Holmes in the final round, that... That is about as rough of a draw <laughs> uh, as Brooks Kepler could have possibly hoped. Um, you know, anybody who's listening to this podcast, you know, months removed from this Open Championship may not remember um, the drama that went around. But J.B. Holmes, uh, notoriously one of the most the slowest players on tour, mostly because he doesn't begin to prepare for any of his golf shots until it is his turn. Uh, something other players, Brooks Kepka included, have criticized directly. Um, but I mean, th there were times in this round where Brooks Kepka, you know, is, is watching JB Holmes do his routine, getting ready for his putts and it's just turning around and putting his hand on his face and walking away. You know, I, I think it was Will Gray from the golf channel, uh, reported that there was at one point he was getting you know, preparing to hit a putt. Brooks Kepka turns to a rules official and points at his imaginary watch. <laughs> He's just trying to get him to go. And, uh, uh, I, I, I really commend Brooks for using you know, his place at the top of the game um, to bring attention to this because really, I'm not sure something like this could be said by anybody not named Tiger Woods um, where they wouldn't get a little bit of blowback from players, but Brooks is just in such a dominant and powerful position in the game right now where he has firmly established himself as the best golfer in the world at the tournaments that matter the most. Um, that That is something that I'm sure every golfer uh, if you asked him, is is that the goal? I, they'd, they'd be lying if they said no. I mean, it, it really is incredible uh, what Brooks Kepka has now been doing these past couple of years in major championships. He he is really the standard to which all other golfers are measuring themselves uh, in major championships going forward until proven otherwise. Um, just an absolutely sensationally dominant um, year for Brooks Kepka in the major championships despite having only one victory, uh, and that being the PGA Championship at Bethpage. So uh, just really, really crazy, man. A really impressive week from Shane Lowry, impressive week from Brooks Kepka. Um, a couple of the notes that I wanted to address were, I, I'd be curious to hear listeners' feedback on what they thought of the 7th and 8th holes uh, at Royal Portrush, the two new holes. Um, obviously, the old 17th and 18th were removed, and then the 16th hole was moved back and became the 18th. And then two new holes were built uh, that played a seven and eight, and then everything after that pushed back by two holes. Um, 
I thought they were incredible. I And honestly, that seventh hole, that 592-yard par 5 with that big, massive blowout bunker on the right-hand side of the fairway that came into play uh, for players hitting driver off the tee, I, you know, I, the scoring average when it was all said and done, um, that par 5 played about a tenth of a stroke under par. Um, it might have been close to that. It was 4.8-something uh, that that hole was playing under par. The only two holes um, to have a lower average were <laughs> the other two par 5s on the golf course, <laughs> which, uh, again, is pretty pretty wild. Um, number two, the scoring average was 4.68. Number five, the scoring average... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, the easiest hole is number two, the par five. And then number five... Uh, the short par four had a scoring average of 3.7. Uh, and then you had number seven at 4.74. So a quarter of a stroke under par. But you know what? For a par five under 600 yards, I really don't remember a golf hole giving so many players fits. I mean, Rory got absolutely destroyed by that golf hole at one point. Tiger was struggling on that hole. It just seemed like I was seeing a lot of guys having to make eight, to 10 foot putts for par on a par five and uh that is pretty wild it, it, it's you know that, that's just one of the one more reason why links golf is really entertaining to watch because the weather that comes into play out there all of a sudden makes par fives real par fives uh three true three shot holes um for these professionals which we just don't get to see that often uh, another thing that i noticed was the internal out of bounds ended up making a big difference in this golf tournament you know Jeff Shackelford of Golf Week um, had written an article about it beforehand Uh, I mean not necessarily criticizing it but I think you know like the rest of us um, the decision to keep the in course out of bounds which you know I personally am never a fan of internal out of bounds you know placing arbitrary out of bounds markers within the property of a golf course uh, is just ludicrous I, I i don't know why you would ever do that um now granted this does you know this is consistent with how the golf course was set up um for the last open championship in 1951 so i mean there certainly was a precedent that had been set um but man you know rory mcelroy hitting one ob on one jb holmes hitting one ob in the final round uh off the first tee i mean it's, it seemed like so many guys went out of bounds off the first tee i mean you could make a great argument that if there's no out of bounds uh on the first hole and rory mcelroy is able to play his second shot from you know the left side where you know from a pretty good lie where the crowd had uh tripled the grass down a little bit maybe he makes par on number one and who knows maybe the rest of the round goes exactly exactly the same but and that then he shoots plus three and then he makes the cut and then maybe he has a great day on Saturday and puts himself in a position where, you know, he could shoot a 68 on Sunday to, you know, finish second behind Shane Lowry. I mean, the, the entire tournament could have gone differently had that very first hole for Rory McIlroy gone a little bit different. And uh, the, the internal out-of-bounds ended up making a huge difference. I, I, I don't know if it really negatively affected that golf tournament beyond... Uh, making it more challenging for Rory McIlroy specifically to make the cut and play on the weekend. But um, it's not something that I am going to be looking forward to seeing at more golf tournaments. But um, 
again, I, I'm not really sure it negatively impacted the golf tournament because so many guys ended up hitting it out of bounds on one and, and several more on 18 that uh, it, it was something you had to take notice of. And the guys that were able to successfully keep the ball in play had a big advantage. Um, and that's kind of what you're hoping for in a major championship. So uh, very interesting to see how that internal out-of-bounds ended up affecting the golf tournament. And then uh, the last little note that I thought was interesting um, is that the four toughest holes in the golf course were all on the back nine. Yeah, so the the, mo the most difficult holes in the golf course ended up being the par 4 11th, which averaged uh, 4.62, 62 hundredths of a stroke over par, then 14 at 4.38. Uh, Calamity Corner, uh, par 3 16th, uh, averaged 3.37 strokes per golfer. Uh, and then, oh, and look at this. My notes are incorrect again uh, because number nine was the fourth most difficult hole on the golf course at 4.36 strokes per golfer. Um Oh, but then if you go to, if, if you extend it to number five, it's number one. <laughs> that out of bounds marker really, really getting folks. So, um, man, what what a spectacular golf course! What a spectacular Open Championship! Um, the only people that may not feel the same way are the guys who, for lack of a better term, um, got their dicks absolutely knocked into the dirt, or in this case, I should say, the dunes. Um, Sunday was not a good day for some of the best players in the world. I, I'm going to quickly go over a list of all of the guys in this golf tournament that shot 76 or worse. And by the way, the only one of these guys that shot 76, you know, plus five for his final round was, you know, one of the best players in the world in Dustin Johnson. Shot a plus five, 76. All right, get ready for this. Jordan Spieth, 77 for plus six. Justin Rose, 79 <laughs> for a plus eight. Dylan Fratelli, winner of the previous week's John Deere Classic, um, had a great chance to jump right near the top of the leaderboard uh, on Saturday uh, before making a double bogey to finish his round. He immediately goes out and shoots 78 uh, for plus seven on Sunday. Xander Shoffley, uh, plus seven on Sunday. Before I continue, I, I do want to briefly mention, mention that uh, uh, one thing that did come out of this golf tournament was kind of a, a dispute between Xander Shoffley and the RNA. Uh, Xander's driver was tested randomly before this golf tournament, uh, was deemed to be non-conforming, um, which again, I I don't really know if it's Xander's fault. Uh, from what I understand from listening to other golf podcasts and reading a lot of uh, uh, materials on this situation is that so many of these club companies and the players that use their equipment are trying to keep the boundaries and, and the limits and, and the specs of their golf clubs as close to the limit as humanly possible to gain as much of an, as an advantage as they possibly can. And that one driver, after being hit over and over and over again, actually can become nonconforming. It can gain a little bit of extra pop, um, is how I understand it. So... Xander Shoffley could have had a driver that has been non-conforming and that at some point, whenever it was tested, uh, proved to be non-conforming. Uh, he had a spat with the RNA afterwards because he was arguing that, you know, that could happen to anybody. They're only testing a small uh, a fraction of the players in the golf tournament. 
So it's entirely possible that there could have been other golfers in this tournament that were using non-conforming clubs, but they were allowed to do so because they were not among those that were uh, randomly selected to have their equipment looked at. Uh, so that pissed off Xander Shoffley. And then on top of that, it became public that his equipment uh, did not come up to spec. So then he started to have players joking around with him that he was a cheater. And then you actually had people in the crowd yelling cheater at him, um, which I don't think he's a cheater. I mean, certainly that's just uh, it's just my opinion. But uh, Xander Shoffley does not strike me as the as a golfer or an athlete that would be uh, knowingly breaking the rules to gain a competitive advantage. Uh, and he justifiably so was pretty pissed off. You know, he, he doesn't want his reputation dragged through the mud. Um, and I, I, I feel bad for him. Now, certainly other people will contend that ultimately the responsibility lies with the player. And that is true. But uh, in this situation, I, I personally don't put any blame. Uh, you know, I, I would never accuse uh, Xander Shoffley of cheating. Uh, I think it's kind of bullshit. And so we will see how that play, uh, you know, how that plays out. Um, apparently the testing that went on is not something that regularly takes place on PGA Tour events. So uh, I don't know if this situation will cause the equipment testing to change on the PGA Tour, but that certainly uh, is something to monitor going forward. Okay, uh, let's return to the people that had a horrific uh, Sunday afternoon at Royal Portrush. Uh, after Xander Shuffley, the guy who I had went on to 95-7 the game with Joe Shasky and Ryan Covey last week in the Bay Area, uh, my my sneaky pick to win was Matt Kuchar. I liked what I saw in the golf that I watched him play at the Scottish Open the week prior, um, and that, that just turned out to be a terrible idea because uh, Matt Kuchar finished with a plus 8, a 79 on Sunday. Uh, not great. As I mentioned, Dustin Johnson shot 76. Graham McDowell, the Northern Irishman, uh, shot 77. Sergio Garcia, 78. And then, of course, and I would hope everybody listening to this would already know, even if you're listening to this months removed from this Open Championship, the worst round of the day and the second worst round of golf in the tournament after uh, Mr. David Duvall's uh, belongs to Brooks Kepka's Sunday playing partner, uh, this year's winner at Riviera, um, arguably the slowest player on tour, J.B. Holmes, plus 16. That is an 87 for J.B. Holmes. That, my friends, is a bad round of golf for a professional golfer. Um, and, and what's wild is, Almost all of these players who had these terrible rounds on Sunday were playing later in the day. They started certainly in the top half of the leaderboard, uh, many of whom you know, started the day in the, in the top 15 on the leaderboard. Uh, and I think that was a little bit of a testament to the weather. Um, the weather in that afternoon, obviously the golf tournament started, it was pushed up a couple of hours um, to try to avoid the worst of the weather that uh, was taking place on Sunday afternoon. And it really, really affected these guys. I mean... The fact that Shane Lowry was able to shoot one over par and have a wildly massive margin of victory um, really speaks to how challenging the golf course was playing and, and how challenging that weather was uh, for many of these golfers. Uh, on the flip side, a couple guys that got to go out early, the low rounds of the day on Sunday, uh, defending champion Frankie Molinari, after really not looking very good for most of this golf tournament, 
uh, shot 66 on Sunday to backdoor his way into a tie for 11th. Um, pretty impressive. And then, of course, uh, uh, the Barn Rat um, shot 67, 400 to get back to tied for 30 seconds. So he was not looking so good uh, going into the final round. So those two guys had the lows on Sunday. Uh, the other note that I'm going to mention before um, we bring this podcast to a close is Tony Finau continues to play very impressive, if not under-the-radar golf, uh, a solo third. The only guy in the top, near the top of the leaderboard when it was all said and done to shoot even par on Sunday. Uh, Tony Finau, great little payday there, uh, solo third. Um, he is really starting to rack up major top tens where you got to think that it's it's only a matter of time uh, before Tony Finau uh, wins a major championship as long as he can manage to not snap his ankle into four pieces I feel very good about Tony Finau's chances um, maybe maybe we'll see him win a regular tour you know tour event first and then once he does that then maybe it will be time for him to start uh, start winning major championships so uh, with that thank you very much everybody uh, a really great open championship in the books the 2019 major season uh, has come and gone and it produced a pretty, you know, a really compelling year of major championship golf. Obviously, Tiger Woods winning the Masters is uh, was the highlight, but Brooks Brooks Kepka cementing his place in golf history with his fourth major championship at the PGA. Gary, uh, you know, Gary Woodland breaking through for his first major championship at Pebble Beach, uh, and then finally, um, you have an Irishman winning the Open Championship uh, on Irish soil. Um, just really. Really cool stuff. A wonderful year of major championship golf. Um, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I hope you guys did as well. And uh, yeah, that, that that pretty much brings this podcast to a close. Uh, before I go, the only thing I would ask all of you um, is that if you would like to, I'd very much appreciate it if you could rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Uh, it goes a long way in helping us reach more golf fans. Um, the more downloads we get, the more likely it is that we might be able to actually break even on this podcast at some point. <laughs> uh, but with that being said, uh, a rating and a review is a great way to support the show. Uh, if you do so, uh, I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, and with that, thank you very much, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Uh, hopefully the heat is not too excruciating. Uh, in your neck of the woods. It's currently uh, a modest 100 degrees here in the Sacramento Valley. So uh, I think that means it's time to go to the driving range. So uh, I am out of here, everybody. I will talk to you next week. And until next time, adios. Adios.